you have your journals, go ahead and get them out so that you can take notes today. We're going to jump around to several different passages as we talk about the subject of wise about wealth, wise about wealth through the book of Proverbs. Uh, congratulations to our sports teams that did well this weekend in soccer, women's rugby. Uh, yeah, yeah, shout out, saw that on Instagram, well done. I've got another note here, I don't know what it means. It says, boomer sooner. You can ask John Wood to explain that to you later. I still don't know what that means or why they have it, but uh, anyway, you guys didn't cheer for that. I'm not surprised. Proverbs 1, uh, verses 1 through 7, we talked about gives us four different people. It talks about the simple, the young, the wise, and the foolish. Now, when you think about those, today I'm asking you to be the wise. Remember what we talked about with the wise. You store up knowledge for the future. As you store up knowledge for the future, today I want to talk to you about wealth. You see where I'm going with this, right? Uh, many of you don't have a large amount of wealth to steward at the current moment. <laughs> but you're going to store up knowledge about what Proverbs says about wealth so that you don't make mistakes, so that you do well, so that you start off on the right foot, so that you don't have to clean up mistakes after the fact. So today, take notes, store up, and recognize this truth through Scripture. God has given us many tools in life that reveal the true condition of our hearts. Our hearts meaning our minds, our thoughts, our will, what we wish to do, our, our volition, all of these things inside the, the wording of our hearts. Wealth is one of those things that can indicate to us our heart condition. So if you are a person in this life that just has to have everything, and I mean everything, then perhaps your perspective on wealth indicate some destructive tendencies within your heart. Perhaps you have a problem with eternal perspective. You're not living this life for the next life. You're living this life as though this is all there is, so you have to have it all right now. Perhaps you're just experiencing basic greed or coveting, which we all do anytime we watch enough TV and commercials. Perhaps you could be worshiping money or wealth or possessions more than God. Proverbs 4.23 says to us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. You can treat the symptom, but in order to treat the heart condition, it requires the gospel, it requires the power of the Holy Spirit, it requires a new birth, it requires daily fighting the battle with our sin nature to find our satisfaction in Christ. So are you choosing the way of wisdom or are you choosing the way of folly? Today, as we look at Proverbs, we have a mirror. This mirror will show us and reflect our inward motivations. Today in the book of Proverbs, we have a test. This test will show us our inward desires so that we can examine what is our heart condition when it comes to wealth, and more importantly, when it comes to finding our satisfaction in Christ. So here's the main idea throughout the book of Proverbs when it comes to money or wealth. Money is not a bad thing. It's not a morally good thing. It's a morally neutral thing that we should steward. So. Here it is, wealth is a good resource to steward, but a horrible God to worship. Wealth is a good resource to steward, but a horrible God to worship. In fact, Christ says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So wealth being a good resource to steward, but a horrible God to worship means this. When we find our satisfaction in Christ, good stewardship of wealth becomes easier. When we find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone, 
it becomes a lot easier not to worry about the things of this world, the possessions, the money, all of those type things. And so we can be good stewards of wealth a lot easier. So here's our first principle that I want us to look at today. And I have five principles that we'll go through quickly. Wealth comes from the Lord. We are stewards and not owners. Wealth comes from the Lord. We are stewards and not owners. When you were born into this world, you brought nothing with you. You probably don't remember that fact, but others can testify that you did not roll up into this world with a credit card or a bank account or any money that you brought to the situation. When you die, you will go in a box, you will go in the ground, and to dust you shall return and you will take nothing with you. It's not yours, you do not own it, you are a steward of it. God has given you something during this life and in fact, many things. He has given us life itself. He has given us gifts. He has given us intelligence. He has given us things like wealth. And to some of you, he will give you more wealth later on to steward. And so we need to make sure that we are good stewards of what he has given us. We see this in Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. In Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, don't confuse things this morning. As we look at this, and as we look particularly at some of these verses, this doesn't guarantee us a prosperity theology. This doesn't guarantee us that if you serve the Lord, everything's gonna be perfect. Remember, in the wisdom literature, the book of Job, Job was a righteous man before God, and yet he underwent so many different obstacles. Remember that in the book of James that we studied last year, it tells us that we are gonna have difficult times John writing in chapter 16, verse 33 says, in this world, you will have tribulation. It is promised that you will have bad things happen to you, but be of good cheer for God has overcome this world for Christ has overcome the world. Proverbs three, nine and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So let me give you application of the first point. We're stewards. How do we know if we're good stewards? Well, here's my application for you. Have a budget. Any of you know what a budget is? You have a budget? Some of you have no clue what a budget is? Get a budget. If you don't know what a budget is, take a personal financial seminar so that you can understand what a budget is and have a budget. And in that budget, here's my recommendation to you. It's just a recommendation, but tithe at least 10%. Now that's a minimum. That's the starting point. Now, if I say tithe 10% and your first reaction in your heart is negative, I want to ask you why. Why is it that your first reaction might be negative to the word tithing? I'm not getting your tithe. You're giving your tithes to your local church. So I'm not asking for something for myself. But often when a preacher preaches on tithing, the first reaction is negative. I I don't want to do that. He's asking for money for himself. All they do is ask for money. But that's not the principle of tithing as you see it through the Old Testament. It's recognizing that God gives us 100%. We're just giving back some of what he has given to us to be a good steward. And it helps us to recognize stewardship so that as we give back, we don't make money an idol in our lives. We allow it to be returned to God. And so we give back at least 10%. I would say to you, for some of you, you're going to make a lot of money in life. And there's going to reach a point where you've got enough stuff and stuff brings you no more happiness and you need to have a vision. For once I reach this amount, I'm gonna give more. 
10% is going to be the, the, the floor, not the ceiling. I'm going to give more money to God. I'm going to give more money to missions. I'm going to give more money to ministries. I'm going to help use the resources God has given me to steward them well, to change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to use temporal resources to have an eternal impact. You say, well, I don't have anything right now. I still say to you, tithe at least 10%. Luke 16, 10 and 11 says, one who is faithful in very little, very little, is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? All right, second point, save at least 10%. You've got a budget, you need to save, you need to put money away, and you need to save 10%. How many of you are in fit to be tied this year? few of you, one of the things you need to find out is if you're fit to be tied, is the other person a saver or a spender? When savers marry spenders, there needs to be an understanding or conflict will happen. I, I am blessed by God to be a saver who has married a saver. And, and it works well for us. We don't have conflict over who spent the most money or who spent money on what, because frankly, neither one of us spend very much money at all. And so it works out really good when you just don't spend much money. You just get busy doing ministry and you don't need stuff, so you don't spend a whole lot of money. And so I'm blessed, but I've met couples, I've counseled couples who one is a saver and one is a spender, and constantly they are going back and forth with conflict over why did you spend that much money? Why did you have to have that? I don't understand that concept. Why can't you save? So I'm just saying to you, save at least 10% and find out whether you're marrying a spender or a saver. For some, spending becomes a coping mechanism. I'm depressed. I'm going to go buy something. It's going to make me happy. Talk about these things. While buying something new and something nice makes everybody feel good at certain times, a dependency on that as a coping mechanism may reveal a problem with where you put your trust. If your joy comes from possessions, you may have an issue. Live on less than 80%. Now, living on less than 80% will allow you to be generous, which is point number two. In the book of Proverbs, over and over and over, it talks about being generous. Be generous. There's a quote from Dan Estes, who has written on the book of Proverbs, and he says this, quote, generosity as described in Proverbs is a practice that imitates God's pattern of giving to address the needs of others. I'll come back to that. When we give, we imitate God. Proverbs 14, 31 says this, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. If you insult a poor man, you insult your own maker. We should be generous to those who need help. Proverbs 17, five is a related verse, says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. Now, make no mistake here, this is not saying to us that we give in a quid pro quo type scenario. We give to the poor so that God will then give to us. This is a heart of generosity. This is a heart that says, I see a fellow human being created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, who Jesus died for just as much as he died for me. And because God died for that person just as much as he died for me, I wanna help that person. I wanna lend to that person. I wanna give to that person with a heart of generosity, wanting nothing in return, but that generosity, that attitude then is something that God 
blesses, and that God likes. The word poor here indicates feeble, weak, or helpless. It's most often translated as poor or helpless throughout the book of Proverbs. But I want to point out to you a simple thing here, that we cannot give to the point of dependency because sometimes we give as a way of easing our own conscience. We see somebody and the easiest thing we can do is pull something out of our pocket, hand it to them and go on about life. And if all we do is give to the point of dependency, have we really helped a person? A person who God has created in his image, given gifts, a person who has gifts, who has intellect, who can do things, instead of giving them a hand up, we've just given them a hand out. And in fact, in that instance, sometimes giving actually hurts more than it helps. In order to truly help a person, we need to see them with eyes like God sees them, created in the image of God. Christ died for them just as much as he did you, just as much as he did me. We need to get messy in the situations to be able to help those so that they can then participate in life, a fulfillment, a human flourishing, so that they can be productive, so they can take pride in their work, so that they can serve God with their gifts. And so it's not just that we help the poor in a way that we pity them, it's we help the poor with a generosity that wants to see them flourish as we have been helped by those in the past. That's what we should do when we want to be generous to the poor. Proverbs 22, 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. There are other related verses that demonstrate God's generosity to us. The one that comes to mind, perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3:16. you probably know it by heart. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. What did he give? His only son. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We have a generous God. We imitate God with generosity. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, another well-known verse have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He gave of himself for us so that we could be reconciled to our creator and we should give of ourselves to others so that they can flourish and do great things for their creator. Some points of application for you, just some thoughts to help you think through this. Generosity helps prevent wealth from becoming an idol in your life. Generosity helps prevent wealth from becoming an idol in your life. If you love wealth so much that it is the pinnacle of your life, it is your God and you have to have more and more and more of it. And they've asked rich people, very wealthy people before, how much money's enough? And the answer is just a little bit more. If you have that type mentality in life, you're never gonna be content. You're never gonna be satisfied. You're never gonna be generous because you don't wanna give away that which is your idol. Generosity helps battle against greed. Generosity helps prevent a dependency on wealth for long-term security. I think we see this in our society. I think I certainly see this temptation even in my own life where we store up and we store up and we put in a bank account and then we think if I've got enough in a bank account, I'm gonna be okay. And instead of depending on God for our security, we depend on finances for our security. It's why we have these retirement accounts and these consultants come and meet with you and they say, how much money do you need to retire? And they want you to put all this money away so that you'll be happy in retirement. And I tell them, I don't believe in retirement. I don't see retirement anywhere in the Bible. I don't think it's a biblical principle. I'm gonna work till I'm dead. I'm just gonna to change jobs perhaps at some point in the future, but I'm going to work till I'm dead. I'm just going to keep going. Don't depend on wealth for your long-term security. Generosity 
helps you live below your means. If you have a vision that says, I wanna be a generous person, you can't spend everything you make. You have to have some to give away. Live below your means. If you don't, you have stress, you have anxiety, and you have a lack of generosity. Point number three, being a slave to debt is bad. Being a slave to debt is bad. Let me be careful on this issue, especially here today. It's a complicated issue. I only have time to give you a cursory and superficial overview, but it's in Proverbs and I'm not faithful if I don't mention it. Feel free to take economics, financial stewardship classes, or things that will give you more details if this is the first time you're having these conversations. I am personally against debt for me and my family, period. Part of that's based upon the fact of the stage of life that I'm in. It's based upon the fact that my parents were very helpful to me when I was younger and that my wife and I are on sound financial footing. So I don't wanna add a burden to you with a flippant comment like all debt is bad when that's actually not the case. Wayne Grudem has written a book, uh, Business for the Glory of God. In that book, he gives an illustration. His illustration talks about, I won't use his numbers because his numbers are rather old, but in that book, he talks about an illustration of a banker that has, and I'll use $200,000 sitting in the bank. And there's a person who wants to build a house, but that person only has, say, $20,000 sitting in their account. That person can't build a house because $20,000 is not enough, but the banker has $200,000 sitting in an account just sitting there collecting no interest because it's just there. The banker decides to lend the money to the person, which is debt, but it's debt on an appreciating asset, not a depreciating asset. You can study more about that at some point in time, but that, that debt on the appreciating asset then brings interest money back to the bank so the bank benefits. It also benefits the person who's borrowing because they can then build a house and instead of paying rent, which they're throwing away each month, they're building equity into a house. And so that person has been benefited, but it goes beyond that. Because the builder who builds the house has been benefited, the electrician, the plumber, the realtor, all of these people are able to provide for their families because money's no longer sitting in an account, but money has been lent out so that it could be borrowed by somebody that is putting it to use to build a house to provide a home. That home is used for hospitality and you could take this to the nth degree. Debt on an appreciating asset is not all bad. In fact, it can be good. And the fact that we have a monetary system makes this possible. It makes it easier to do. It makes it good. You can see Grudem's business for the glory of God for more information on that. Educational debt. Proverbs talks about in multiple locations how wisdom is better than wealth. Investing in education can multiply your earnings over the course of your lifetime as well, so your return on investment can actually be good. Christ-centered education, where you're learning to love the Lord, to fear the Lord, and to have a life that's lived for Him can even be better than any secular education that might just bring a monetary value. But let me put it this way. Please do not accumulate $100,000 worth of debt if you're going into a career that's gonna make $30,000 a year for the rest of your life. You say, who's doing that? Somebody is. And I need to say to you, as much as you may love what you're getting at Cedarville, as much as you may love the content of the classes that your faculty are pouring into you, as much as you may love the dorm life, that much debt and paying it off for the rest of your life, you're not gonna love at all. And I want you to look back on us and say, they told me the truth because they loved me. 
We want all of you here at Cedarville, but for some of you, it may not be wise for you to be here long-term. Faculty and staff, let me speak to you for just a moment and say to you, this is why we have to keep expenses down. If you wonder why I review every single hire that goes through and the logic behind every single replacement hire, this is why. Because I want our tuition rates to be as low as possible so that our students accumulate the least amount of debt as possible so that when they walk across the stage, they don't walk across the stage with a ton of debt, but they walk across the stage equipped to go out and serve God wherever he calls them for his glory. So we can't just swim along with the rest of higher education and keep raising prices and doing things of that nature. We have to work hard to keep things low. We have to work hard to raise money, to find people that will give generously so that we can have scholarships. We have to make sure that we go against the grain and try to keep the cost of higher education down. Now, there is such a thing as bad debt. Credit cards, over-leveraging, depreciating debt, those things are not good for you. Slide uh, number 17 here shows you in Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs 22, 26, and 7 says, Be not one of those who gives pledge, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken out from under you? Proverbs eleven fifteen: Whoever puts up security for a stranger will suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Let me say these few things to encourage you. At least I hope they will be encouraging to you. Pay off your education debt early. You may have 20 years or whatever timeline to pay it off. Pay it off early. Some of you are going to get married. You're going to find somebody that's godly, that loves the Lord, and you're going to get married. You're going to go out. Both of you are going to begin to work. Let me challenge you when you do that, live off one salary. Use that second salary completely to go to educational debt or other debt and put that money so that you get that debt wiped out. You get it away. If you have no debt, use that second salary to go to savings so that you can get started off on a good foot and live off one salary when you first go out. It's not gonna be hard to do when you first walk out, but if you change your lifestyle so that you're accustomed to two salaries, then reducing is gonna be incredibly difficult. So when you first leave, you're used to a little bitty dorm room. It's gonna expand. When you first leave, you're, you're used to very little expenses. That's gonna expand. Live off one salary, put the other one away, get rid of that educational debt. When you buy a house, and your mortgage, don't think about a 30-year mortgage. Think about a 15-year mortgage, a 20-year mortgage. If you can't think about those type things, make an extra payment on that 30-year mortgage every year. Get out of debt as quickly as you can. Number four, be content. Be content. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 says, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Now for us non-vegetarians in the room, that is a challenging verse to take. Better are green things, which I don't even like messing up my cheeseburger. Better are green things, herbs, where love is than the fattened ox and hatred with it. You may have little, but if you have the Lord, you have happiness and contentment and peace that is far beyond that which money cannot bring and cannot provide to even the richest of people. This requires an eternal perspective. To be truly satisfied with herbs in this world, you have to know this world is not all there is. Proverbs chapter 30, verses seven through nine says, two things I ask of you. 
Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Lest I be full and say, I don't need you, Lord. I have all I need. I don't need to trust in you. Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God, lest I have nothing and then go out to provide for myself rather than trusting God and still. If you have too much, your temptation in life will be to trust your wealth rather than trust God. Do not give in to that temptation. If you have too little, it will be to doubt that God can provide for you and to take matters into your own hands. Trust God, he is faithful. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, not that I'm speaking in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Satisfaction must be found in Christ. Number five and lastly, Wisdom is ultimately worth more than wealth. Wisdom is ultimately worth more than wealth. Proverbs chapter three, verses 13 through 15 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Wealth is not everything. Wisdom. Wisdom, not even in facts, but wisdom in a person. The person who Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, where he says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight 28 says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. We trust in the Lord. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 28.6 says better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So from Proverbs, in a very fast overview, we see that wealth comes from the Lord, that we are stewards, we're not owners. And because we are stewards, we should be generous we should steward our wealth to influence and serve others. Being a slave to debt is bad. Get out of debt as soon as you can. Be content, live within your means. God is faithful, you can trust him, he will provide. Wisdom is ultimately worth more than wealth. Your wealth cannot buy your salvation. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ on the cross is what brings true contentment, true happiness, and what brings eternal wealth and eternal riches. So here's some application questions to close with. What does the way you spend money indicate about where you find satisfaction? Do you find satisfaction in the newest gadgets, the newest toys, the newest things? Do you find your satisfaction in Christ? Does the way you spend money indicate a generosity that loves others well? Or does it indicate a self-centeredness that loves only yourself well? What does your spending and desire say about the condition of your heart? As you hold up that mirror, as you look at yourself, your inward motivations, your inward desires, what does it say about this? This is a grace of God that we can look and see how we spend our money. 
We value our money. How we spend our money is a grace of God because we can look and say, Lord, I have a problem in my heart. I have a condition I need to confess before you. I need the mercy and grace of the cross. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. How does your spending indicate your heart's condition is? If someone looked at the way you spend money, would they know that you follow Christ? And what steps can you take today to store up wise financial principles for the future? Today is the day that you say, I'm gonna be a good steward of the resources that God will one day give me. It's not after you've already made mistakes that you're recovering from. It's now on the front end. You store up wise financial stewardship. And we recognize that wealth is a good resource to steward, but a horrible God to worship. And if that's true, then when we find our satisfaction in Christ, good stewardship of wealth becomes easier. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that today you will help all of us to seek to be good stewards. Lord, I pray especially for our university that Lord, you would help us to be able to keep costs low so that we can be a good steward of what you've given us so that we can have kingdom impact with as many people as possible, Lord, so that we can pour into lives so that we can serve you well. Lord, I pray for our students that you would help them to have good financial stewardship in place, that you would help them to, to seek to learn more, to dig deep, to understand how to be a good steward of the resources you've given them. Lord, to study what your word says about money and about resources and about wealth. Lord, I pray that you would prosper them. I pray that you would make them good stewards, that you would help them to be generous, Lord, that you would help them to use the wealth that you've given them to further the gospel on this earth, that they will make an investment that will impact all of eternity. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to be concerned about the condition of our hearts, that you would help us to seek you, to seek to be transformed by your word, to plead to the mercy of the cross, to seek the power of the Holy Spirit and daily to fight our sin nature within us that urges us to pursue the path of folly and not the way of wisdom. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.